2: And on this episode, a family attempts to address the grief of their son's murder by beginning a relationship with the man who killed him. We'll discuss The Letter from KSL Podcasts and Lemonada. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of the These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband and love of my life, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca. Also with us is private investigator, certified pet detective, resident cat lady, Author of Dead on Deadline and the soon to be released Final Curtain,
3: Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura. Hello, yeah. The first printing just arrived Mm. uh, for the Final Curtain. So, those crime readers on listeners who did the pre orders will be getting that in the mail very soon. I am one of them. Will mine be signed, Laura? Of course. And you might even get a cat stamp, Rebecca. Laura, are you going to have a public book reading, book launch party? Yes, I have two upcoming events on October 1st, Saturday, the actual release day. I'm doing an informal pop-up at Water Street Bookstore mm. in the afternoon. And there will be on October 12th, which is a Wednesday, a big book party at the Word Barn Ticketed. in Exeter. You Ticketed. buy tickets. I bought me some tickets. Mm-hmm. You got to buy tickets because we need to know the word, ca- the word count. We need to know the word count at the <laughs> Word Barn if you're going to come over there. And uh, yeah, there should be... Lots of opportunities, so hoping to see some people there. By the way, the fun thing about the Word Barn is they also sell beer. They sell beer and wine, and I might be bringing some fancy champagne because it does relate to the opening scene in this book. Nice, mm. nice. If I if mm-hmm. I were to bring like someone
4: killed with a cork,
3: <laughs> maybe cork in the eye, Kevin. Cork in the
4: <laughs> eye. I just
2: I will just say I've been uh, is ever since my son got home from Germany where he said like apérol spritz is the popular drink. I've been making them at home, and I've almost like popped my own eye out like four times opening up the prosecco bottles. It has not been pretty. All right, finally, our resident Doubting Thomas, author of the City Trilogy, host of the Stranger Rivals podcast, and our very own Patreon Deep Dive Book Club podcast, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Hi, Rebecca. All right, so Kevin, this is Thursday's episode of Crime Writers On. What is happening on Monday's show?
4: Well, on Monday, we're going to be talking about the new podcast from Leah Satili. It's called Burn Wild.
2: Wow. I'm looking forward to that one.
4: Yeah. Toby's got a big, th- well, I mean, he's making a thumbs up. I don't know if
5: he's thumbs up, but he's very excited
4: about doing this podcast.
2: Is that a spoiler alert from Toby Ball?
5: I haven't listened to even a second of it, but oh, okay. <laughs> it's, okay. it sounds like right up my alley. So, All right, so
2: he's thumbs up anticipating listening to it.
5: Hey, anything like terror related, Leah
4: he's all over it. And so uh, we have high hopes for that.
2: Oh, one. my God. This is like, this is one of the situations, by the way, have you cleared it with Leah? Like, what if I don't like one of your things? Will we still be friends?
5: I've never actually spoken with Leah.
2: Oh, well, you should clear it with Leah because she knows that you like her work. I have, by the way, pre-cleared it with a bunch of people that they know I'm big fans of theirs, and I I always, like, I'm like, by the way, like, you know, with you heard me doing it on the show with Matt Scherr, like, someday I'm not gonna like one of your things, and, like, we're still gonna be cool, right? Like, you have to do that in advance because it's gonna happen someday. Okay. All right, well, I really want to talk about the thing we're talking about this episode, and it's, uh, pretty- Toby.
4: Toby's calling the woman from manslaughter right now, I think. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Donut shop murders. Let's go back in time and give them a call. Yeah. Can we still be friends? No, we cannot. Oh, it's good to get a
4: laugh in ahead of time.
2: Well, yeah. I mean, I did that back. I did that like back in time with pain. Like we're cool now. Right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we do need to get into what we're going to be talking about. And it's a heady one. So uh, let's just get to it. Leading off.
5: She comes in and says, the police are at the front door. There's two
3: detectives that want to talk to you. And I looked at my husband and I said, what do they want? Go we'll see what they want.
5: We get up and Sai immediately says Zach's the only one that's not home.
2: In August 1996, 19-year-old Zach Snar took his friend Yvette to a secluded reservoir to take photos of the moon. But their date was interrupted by George Benvenuto, a stranger who fatally shot Zach and wounded Yvette without provocation. The gunshot stopped, and the person leaned over me to reach to Zach, and my eyes were open. I didn't dare close them.
5: What did you see?
2: I saw a gun, and I saw his face. Zach's family wanted justice, hoping Benvenuto would rot in prison. But the years brought little comfort, and grief turned to anger. That is when the letter came. When you have that much
3: hatred and anger in you, you become that. You are angry and hateful. I didn't like it. I didn't like what I had become. The
2: letter from Lemonada and KSL Podcasts looks at the effects of the murder on the Snar family and their journey of restorative justice with the man who murdered their son. It's an intimate portrait of those affected by the shooting and the unexpected ways they coped with it spoiler alert we are going to be talking about plot points from the letter so if you want to remain spoiler free go to the estimated time code in our show notes to hear our thumbs up or thumbs down reviews all right so i sent you all a note after listening to episode one of this podcast telling you to all brace yourselves kevin flynn was episode one of this podcast as sad for you as it was for me i listened to it it was a harrowing And real experience for me listening to episode one of this podcast. Yeah,
4: I mean, I thought it was sad. I didn't think it was. um, I thought it was mournful is what the tone would be for me that we've heard a lot of things that are emotional and sad, but this wasn't sort of like this is tragic and I'm going to shove it in your face and make you feel something about it. I mean, just the sort of these stories from this family about how they found out that their son slash brother died You know, it just—it's was just very real. And so that really achieved an emotional effect for the listener.
3: And I remember getting out of bed and walking out into my house, and it was full of people. And it was just silent. And everyone was crying. And everyone was talking in hushed tones. And I remember just the realization that this happened. How could this have happened?
2: Laura, there is an episode one, this like TikTok of the night that Zach died where he goes out. You have the parents and the sister talking about how they found out, you know, going to the door and and they live it. They relive it in real time. And as a listener, you relive it in real time. And, you know, you know, I'm the parent of sons who are like recently teenagers the podcast doesn't let you off the hook for like any moment of this experience, and of course, we're hearing the story in retrospect. It's not like they're recreating it with sound effects and like ambulance sirens. It's very dry retelling memories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is inexplicably sad. I mean, to me, I, I, I mean, maybe I'm the only one who experienced that way in this panel. Like, how did you experience episode one of this podcast?
3: It was definitely, I felt like it was a very honest, poignant, raw retelling of what happened to set up the awful crime that we're going to be learning about. So the fact that they were open to talking about it, the fact that this many years later, they are still talking about it, but the emotion surrounding how awful that night was is still... So front and center. And like Kevin said, it's not like in your face, but it's a very, very honest, you know, telling of the blow by blow in terms of where everybody was. Starting with when we hear from the mother talking about the last time that she saw Zach and she was like, Who cleaned my kitchen? And he said, I did it for you, Mama. And she was like, Oh, thanks. And she looking back says, geez, I wish, you know, I had known. And you never know in a case like that. And I'd been gone all day and came through the back door and I noticed my kitchen was spotless and I had not left it that way. And Zach was standing right there and I said, who cleaned my kitchen? And he said, I did it for you, mama. And I said, thanks, Zach. You know, that was Zach. The setup was was pretty awful, but I I think in order to tell this story effectively, you needed all those voices in there and you needed to hear it from their point of view from the beginning so that you could understand where they were at when we're going to hear later how they reached this level of forgiveness that we know is coming. Yeah, so Toby, a lot of podcasts try to start here, right? They
2: try to start with the victim, the victim's family. They try to paint this complete portrait. They try to make it like really specific and get into like, he was born there. He lived here. They were a ray of sunshine that lit up a room. We hear that kind of thing a lot. I think this was done very differently. I think Lemonada in particular, you know, the last podcast that we listened to of theirs that we all had feelings about was Believe Her, which was also a a podcast about a very intimate story that was treated like, very wonderfully. And by the way, KSL Podcasts also made a podcast that we had very split feelings about, which was cold. But this is a story from that outlet, but is being done with Lemonada, which I think is like a production company that tells stories in a very particular way. And when I heard this was KSL, I was like, and then Lemonada. I don't know. I I feel like there is just a production treatment here that brings an intimacy to the story that could have been handled very poorly. But what do you just think of sort of like the very detailed, slow, kind of granular telling here?
5: Well, it seems like the two things to me were that it's calm, right? Even when it's got people who are talking about reliving very strong emotions, the the podcast in itself remains very calm. And then I think there's also, they have this sense of sort of, I don't know, it's kind of like a moral sensibility throughout the whole thing. So it's For instance, with Zach, right? It's not like they give like sort of this warts and all picture of him. It's it's people obviously talking about all the stuff they loved about him and what a neat kid he was and all these different things. It's just very, very specific, right? It's not like he lit up the room whenever he walked in and stuff. They're talking about specific things that Zach did and specific ways he related to people. And at least for me, it made me come away feeling like I had a sense of who he was, even like the kinds of things that people who weren't loved ones or whatever would see when they saw him, which I don't get the feeling from a lot of these other things where it's, it's a little bit less nuanced or detailed. So, yeah, I mean, I, I feel again, I'm not exactly sure what components make this up other than I, maybe it's just letting people talk at the right length. Like there's no signaling stuff kind of talks for itself. There's nothing that's overly sentimental. They don't play sad music in the background or between things. It's just kind of like, this is the story. The people who are telling it are able to express their feelings at that time, their emotional states at that time, their desires for what was going to happen next at that time in a way that seems very honest. And at least for me, it seemed, compelling and sort of understandable even if I didn't necessarily agree with everything it's like okay my understanding of this person from other stuff in this podcast makes this seem honest it makes sense yeah so I I I mean I I think it's there's not a whole lot of podcasts that that have done it quite this way I think
2: no I completely agree with you there's literally only one moment in this podcast so far that has like taken me out of the narrative literally one and the one moment that's taken me out of the narrative is when, you know, all the descriptions of Zach and what he was like. It's so funny because, you know, you always hear about these so-called like perfect victims, right? Like the victim that lit up a room, whatever. The way that Zach is described, the way that his family describes and the way they're talked about, you know, he's obviously like a wonderful, you know, young man. But the way that he's described is not a perfect young man, just a wonderful young man. And the way that his family describes him, they don't talk about his superficial attributes. They talk about the way he affected the people around him, which is like lovely and real and relatable. The only moment that took me out of this whole podcast was when the cop was talking about the impact of this crime, of his murder on the community. And he says, when there's a shooting and a crime like this,
5: some of the story comes up later and, oh, well, that's why that guy got shot. He's, uh, he's a dirty so-and-so, and then people kind of justify it. This circumstance were two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. They were here enjoying themselves, good, clean, wholesome kids.
2: It's a wholesome, great kid, and it could happen to you. That is the one moment it took me out of this whole podcast because that was the one moment that reminded me that in this community, in this world of this true crime space, in this world of storytelling, that the reason we're listening to this story is because here we have like, quote, a perfect victim, right? that is the one moment and it's not the family's fault, it's not the producer's fault, it's not and, I, and in some way it's sort of like it's about the cop, right? The cop cares more about the story because we have, you know, a victim that everybody cares about. It was the one moment that pulled me out that the podcast didn't examine because in every other way the story was just so beautifully like put together. And I have to say, it's just so rare to listen to a podcast where there's, like, one 20-second passage where I'm like, oh, (laughs) I mean, everything else we listen to, I'm like, oh, well, 30% of it sucked, but, like, the other 70% of it was fine, if that makes sense. Can I ask a style
4: question of you guys? Because I want your opinion if you're putting this podcast together. So the end of the first episode, we get sort of this one-two-punch surprise thing. So at the end of the first episode... We hear from the voiceover that, you know, this person that Sai has been talking to on the phone all along, George, is the person that killed her son. Yep. And we also hear as she hangs up, she says, love you.
3: He's calling from the Central Utah Correctional Facility. Oh, I will. And, And you'll hear all about it, too. I'll tell you all about it for sure. And he's the man who murdered her son. Thanks for calling. Love you.
4: Bye. So... My question is, if you're putting this together, which of those two things comes first? Do you hear the I love you, and then you, you have them say, that's the person that killed her son, or do you have, that's the person killed her son, and then I love you?
3: I would put it after the I love you, because then I think it has more of an impact. I love you, and then this is the person
4: that killed yeah. her. Okay. See, I like that. I think this is the way that I like saying, this is the person that killed her son. That's the first. Oh, And then the other sudden, I love you. Oh, oh, why would you say that? I thought that boom, boom. I just thought storytelling wise, emotionally, just boom, boom, boom. I thought it was really great.
3: Well, storytelling wise, to piggyback on that. I mean, I think that is my issue with the podcast in terms of like, I feel like I ended that first episode. I'm like, oh, my God. But now I've gone through three more episodes. We haven't gotten back to that. And to me, I feel like that's sort of what this podcast is built. It's called. The letter. and Waiting I for want, the letter, yeah. I'm waiting for the letter, and I guess I'm just wondering, like, I understand that we have to have the background, we have to have the setup, we have to understand just how horrific and traumatizing this was for everybody involved that was family members, for Yvette, who's the girl who survives, and everything. But at the same time, I guess, personally, I just wanted to hear more about this letter and about this relationship because— If that's the gist of the podcast, I don't want to have to wait for episodes to get to that.
5: I don't know if it would be as cathartic if you haven't had Mm. this huge lead up to it. Yeah. I mean, I think the fact that you tease that this is going to happen, like kind of puts you in the mind of like, while you're listening to everything else. You're like, well, this is going to at some point do a U-turn for somebody, right? Is it the entire family embraces George, or is it just the mom? I I, I wasn't quite clear on that. It sounded... But we'll have to find out. It sounded like that it had caused some turmoil in the family. So I wonder if she jumped in and the others didn't. But anyway, I, I kind of thought of it as if you put the letter a whole lot earlier, like, I don't think it has the same impact as just hearing sort of the devastation to these two families. And then also you get the stuff about George and 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 what his backstory is and state of mind at the time and state of mind afterwards once he's caught it, it seems almost cinematic in some ways it's like it's like some kind of like independent movie where you have these three groups or individuals and you're waiting to see how things resolve
0: BP added more than 70 billion dollars to the US economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in california and starting up new infrastructure in the gulf of mexico it's and not or see what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com
1: investing in america ophthalmologist dr strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact.
5: Hello, America. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call.
2: All right, so, Kevin, here we are in the business section. What do we have going on in our Patreon right now, Kevin?
4: Well, we're all preparing for the next live taping of the Deep Dive, Toby (gasps) Ball's Deep Dive Book Club podcast. Oh, no. Now, the last episode uh, came out recently. It was When the Moon Turns to Blood. And now Toby is preparing for a moderately good panel of guests talking about Tall Man. The... No, I believe it's just Tall Man, right, Toby?
5: I think it's The Tall Man in Australia, but just oh. Tall Man here in the United States. Oh, that's going to be like five minutes of discussion right there. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, that's there's a lot of implications. Uh, yeah, it's going to be uh, Elon Green, who wrote Last, Last Call. Call, Yep, which was uh, a great book that we actually reviewed maybe less than a year ago. On the deep dive. Also, Maggie Rar of uh, Carrie Lowe Versus. One of the best. Um, yeah. And then uh, my my true life partner in crime, Rebecca Lavoy.
2: Yes. Ooh.
5: So it's going to be a fun panel. The book is really good. I recommend it. Just as I guess that's a spoiler alert. I have but, yeah. to finish it. Um, and members of yeah. Crime
4: Writers on Nation on Patreon can watch the live taping and take part. And when is that
5: recording? So, yeah, we're taping on October 10th. And it's going to be at a at a different time than usual. It's going to be 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Hmm. So maybe people in faraway time zones who haven't been able to watch the deep dive might get a chance this time because we're doing it much earlier.
2: Yes, on my lunch hour. Are. It's going to be amazing.
5: Yeah. Awesome.
4: Thanks, Toby. Uh, You can listen to that and about 300 other exclusive podcasts. Go to Patreon.com slash Partners in Crime Media for more on that. I want to tell you about a live show that we are doing next month. It's uh, These are the stories, the Law & Order podcast, live on stage November 11th at the Bank of New Hampshire stage in New Hampshire. So if you're New Hampshire adjacent, come join us. There, we have a new episode of the These Are the Stories podcast that came out yesterday. And, uh, Rebecca, this is the one in which Green and Lupo investigate the shooting over a, a pair of pants in a $20 million lawsuit. Yes. And lastly, I want to remind everybody and thank everybody in advance for supporting me for a walk a mile in their shoes. This is the annual fundraiser. That I do here in Concord, New Hampshire, where I strap on a pair of high-heeled shoes and I walk a mile to a mile. <laughs> it's not really, but it's asterisk, a mile. It's down the street and back. My ankles could never do a mile. We did a mile one time through a park, you know, over dirt, and that was a mistake mm. for those of us. Who have never really worn high heel shoes before, mm. and they just, they just spike in you the dirt. mean, journey.
2: babies. You mean babies? Yes, you babies. Babies. We
4: were babies, but we are raising awareness, and we're going to do that again. All the money raised benefits the crisis center of Central New Hampshire, and everybody that uh, donates and you know sponsors my walk, I'm going to give you a shout out on a future episode of Crime Writers On. Just go to Crime Writers On com and at the top of the page, there's a link, and so thank you in advance.
2: Wow, there's a lot going on in this business section. Kevin, before we end it, do we have any Patreon Patron Saints of the Week this week?
4: Our Patreon Patron Saints are Victoria Sinton and Julia Garcia. Bless you.
2: Bless you guys, and Julia,
4: thank you. along with uh, former uh, Patreon Patron Saint of the Week, Jennifer Ruth, yes. they got together recently yes. for a meetup in uh, in Maine and apparently one of you jokers gave them my cell phone number mm. and they texted me and they sent photos and it was know, probably me was it you? it wasn't me okay. wasn't it wasn't me I didn't do my. anything
3: I was off throwing axes when that happened I probably oh. you know someone
2: probably texted me and I was on the couch and they were like we're doing whatever and I may have been like just text Kevin here is number I may have done that
4: yeah that sounds like something you
2: would do it is I 100% did that I'm just I'm confessing to you right now that I did in fact do
4: that okay but uh Victoria, Julia and Jennifer bless you
2: bless you guys thank you for supporting us on Patreon thanks to everyone who supports us there and thanks to those who don't for enduring the business section and for listening to this stupid podcast we love you so much and we really appreciate it and Kevin does thus end the business section does
4: ends the business section
2: I'm gonna go ahead and fade that music out Right now. So I will say that one thing I will say about episode one, I would not have teased the phone calls at the beginning of episode one.
4: The whole idea that this is going to be about restorative justice? Well,
2: no, because the phone call teaser, like I knew that, I mean, it was very obvious that she was talking to the killer because who else would she have been talking to at the beginning of episode one? I mean, I wouldn't have teased it only because it's at the end of episode one. and That's enough. And by the way, this is a quibble, right? But like episode one, I cannot stress this enough. And I just want to tell listeners who've not listened to this podcast prepare yourself. This is not grief porn. It's not. And I hate grief porn more than anything. I don't hate anything more than what's that show that we watched that took place in Hoboken where was there a murder case and a drunk prosecutor? And a sad family. And all we could do was describe it as like grief porn, grief porn, grief porn. Do you guys the remember The
4: TV that? show? Was it like yeah. 47 seconds or yes, something like that? Yes, yes,
2: yeah. yes, yes. I hate grief porn more than anything where you're just like wallowing in sadness. This is not that. But the first episode of this podcast is hands down the saddest thing. I listened to in forever and not in a bad way. Like I was so sad and I was on my walk and I was literally crying, but like, in a way that was appropriate for the material. That being said, because they tipped their hand in the first few seconds of the episode, I knew that like everything's going to be okay in some way later. I actually felt like I didn't want to know that because I really wanted to understand where the family was before. You know what I mean?
4: Well, I think you just guessed that. I don't think I it didn't was. It, it. I don't think
2: it,
5: it wasn't a giveaway.
2: And it was very obvious.
5: I felt pretty clear that that's what that was. Oh, you did? Yeah. All right.
2: Who else would she be talking to?
5: It's not Uncle George, what? you know? <laughs> Uncle George, who used to be a vaccine Wait. denier and is now getting a shot. I mean, it's... I, I didn't yeah, know how well, else we haven't even be.
4: gotten to The Sun Was Dead yet, so I don't know why, you know... It's in
2: the episode description.
4: Well, oh, you're re- that's extra textual.
2: <laughs> it's not extra textual if you hit play on a podcast, your episode description oh, is literally right along. there. All right, well, can we please talk about the Yvette episode, because... Yes. Obviously, Yvette is Zach's friend that he took out on their first date. They had been friends for a long time. And by the way, what I do love about this podcast is family is Mormon, but they just like, that's extra textual, not important. It's just a background fact of the story. Of course, it takes place in Salt Lake City. I'm like, this family is definitely Mormon, but that's extra textual. But sort of the sweetness of their relationship that they grew up together, that like she had been away, then she came back and then they wanted this first date. And their first date was literally he was teaching how to photograph the moon the earnestness of it is ridiculous. But this murder happens. George comes, shoots Zach, approaches Yvette with a loaded gun, shoots her multiple times. Somehow she survives. The harrowing nature of Yvette's climb up this hill is explored in detail in this podcast. Lara Bricker, what do you think of the root talk here of the reporters and the cops' re exploration of Yvette's survival story?
3: This, to me, was the episode that hit me harder than the first episode because, you know, we hear her initially setting up what happened. And then I believe we have like an actor maybe reading a past statement that she had done because she said she doesn't want to relive it one more time. But, you know, hearing that, you know, she's like shot and then she's like basically playing possum so that the man isn't going to shoot her again as he's like literally like putting his pocket in her pants to rob her or look for whatever car keys. And so she, you know, lays there and then realizing that Zach is dead. He's not moving. And then she thinks I'm sweating, but it's actually blood. And then she's like, I can't move my leg. And then when she calls out for help and the lady says, sure, I'm sending help. And then like nobody freaking comes. So the setup was like, this is awful. This poor girl's going to like bleed out here. We know she doesn't because she's retelling the story, but it, you know, it sounds very probable that that's what could have happened. But then to hear about literally crawling up this freaking bank to the highway because that seemed like the best way, and then when we hear the current people going to look at that and looking at the grade there and looking at how steep and looking at the terrain, I mean, that's pretty amazing that she managed. I mean, like you hear survival stories all the time, but that was really on a different level to me because she's not like some military person pulling, Like she's a teenage girl yeah. who
2: she's literally not a seal.
3: Yeah. Like she like literally pulls herself up this freaking bank to get to it. With that, one that working whole, leg, right? Yeah, no, that was awful. But I was like, I want to know who that freaking lady was who like never sent help. I was like, that pissed me off. But that was just like, Ooh, like this, this poor And and then you immediately, you know, she segues into talking about like that survivor guilt that she feels, which is a whole other segment of this story. Kevin, what'd you think about that episode?
4: Yeah, I mean, Root Talk sometimes is performative. Uh, there are some cases though, where not only is it important to give you that sense of setting and obstacle, but here it like really demonstrates the amazing journey that she took to get herself to safety Because it's a situation where you have, you know, she's wounded and you have three people who are not in the light of day, uh, you know, making their way, you know, with each other through the the scraggly brush and up the roads and all that other stuff. I, I think just sort of her, not only at the time, you know, the great courage that she demonstrated, but still her ability to talk about what she can talk about today, I thought was very moving.
2: What do you think about the fact that she said she wouldn't describe the crime again? I mean, that you made sense, perfect sense, right? Yeah,
4: yeah. I mean, it's like I said, it's the worst thing that happened to her in her life, and I think they made good use. Again, I think it's one of those times where it's the exception to the rule, where it makes a lot of sense to have an actor step in and take some transcribed statement and you know play it out because you know it is better. In this case, it has more punch than just having the host read it and. You know, it's understandable why she wouldn't want to relive it herself.
2: You know why that was so great was they had her on tape saying, I've done this before. And like, it has been bad for me when I've done it before. So that's why I'm not going to do it again. The fact that they included that instead of having the host say she doesn't want to do it again. So we're just going to have recreated the fact that they included her explaining why she didn't want to do it. I've never heard that in a podcast before ever ever. When they've had recreations of someone who didn't want to do something, like I've never heard the person saying why they didn't want to do it on any documentary, on any podcast. I've never heard that before. And that was like a great moment in true crime for me. I was like, that is incredible. And like that for me is going to be like put a pin in it. I'll be thinking about that for a long time. Toby, you actually mentioned a person in this podcast that I have been thinking about a lot, too, which is Zach's sister who is a central voice here, who is really affected, obviously, by Zach's death. Um, What do you think about her? Because she's obviously like a central character here. Zach has more than her as a sibling, obviously. But it's not quite clear yet what her relationship is with George. It's not quite clear yet what anyone else's relationship with George except for Zach's mom. And are you curious about the entire family's situation here, as I am?
5: Yeah, I think... You know, both Zach's father, but I think particularly his sister, you know, at least, I mean, for the sister, it seems like things are still very raw. They spend a lot of time talking about what their feelings were at the time and how angry they were at the time. And sometimes Zach's father kind of distances himself a little bit from at least the actions he took at the time, like when he goes up and is, you know, talking trash to, uh, George's mom in the courtroom and just goes and sits behind her and just starts haranguing her. The sister, you know, she still seems quite angry now. And again, I think it's interesting in the way that they handle her voice in a way that's not sensationalized or she doesn't seem to be inappropriate in her emotions. That it is just, it's just presented very matter of factly and you understand that this is still, it's very understandable, but I guess you don't hear a whole lot of people speaking with this much anger on podcasts without something to kind of either soften the blow or increase the anger. It's just kind of let out there. It's a big juxtaposition between that and then the mom saying, love you to George. Yeah, And to me, yeah, I mean, it's one of the... You know, I don't know if it's one of the most interesting things about this, but there is like when I was listening to it, I'm like, hmm, like I wonder how the mom's reconciliation goes over. Yeah. Because it doesn't, there's no indication from her to the point that we've been listening that she is ready to forgive him.
2: Yeah. Well, we did hear that the parents went to George's cousin's wedding. That's the only tip we've gotten, right?
5: I that it's more than that. just the mom. <laughs> yeah. Like she
2: says, we went to your cousin. Oh, that's right. Invitation.
5: That's right. Yeah, yeah.
2: That's right. Yeah. 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 And then you want to get an invitation. Yeah. And I just, I feel like, um, but I also don't feel like the mom, like is so hungry for like something. I mean, I don't know. There's just something that's so bad, about it, but also like there is a conversation there with the lawyer, with his lawyer about his desire to die. He didn't commit this murder because he was dying to kill somebody. He committed this murder because he wanted to die. And there was something so profoundly sad about that. I don't know. This crime was fucking horrible. It's horrible for the victims, and it was horrible for the perpetrator. And there's something about the way that is being described in this podcast that is so empathetic from the beginning. Like they're not doing that thing where they're like, "Let's describe it in a brutal way for four episodes and then deconstruct it." Well, let's now take it like from the You know what I mean? I don't know. I just think it's it's different. It's different than I think we've listened to in a long time.
0: Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at
1: bp.com slash investing in America. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact.
5: Hello, America. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call.
2: All right, let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners know should they check out the letter. It's a new podcast from KSL Podcasts and Limonada Media. Laura Bricker, what do you think? Should people check out this podcast? Yes or no? Thumbs up or thumbs down for the letter?
3: Yeah, this is a thumbs up. This podcast is something. It's it's really sad the story that this is following. This isn't necessarily a who done it. This is an extremely detailed look back at a horrific crime, the people that were affected, how they've coped, how they've gone on with their lives, where they are now. We know there's there's a quick arrest in this case, which sets up the idea this is a different type of story that they're going to be telling. And it's something where everybody that is involved in this is, so far, the voices they have are people that are the people you want to hear from. And they are all being extremely forthcoming and candid with their recollections. So it's definitely really interesting. I'm, I'm going to be curious to see where it goes because I know what I want to hear about next. So I will be eagerly waiting to see if that, in fact, happens. Toby Ball.
5: Yeah, I feel like this podcast is unique in some ways. There's no sensationalism in this at all that I can recall. Like If you looked at it, if you read it, it would seem very matter-of-fact, but the voices of the people that you're hearing, I guess, just carry so much of the sort of emotional aspect of the story. And the emotional pitch of it is really, again, it's pretty unique. It's a very difficult thing to pull off the way they've done it and to have something that's this sort of stripped down and still... Very, very compelling. I'm a big thumbs up. It's not, again, I'm not sure exactly what I would compare it to. I mean, it's got some of the same stuff that I think Connie Walker does really well as far as being sort of emotionally resonant. And again, the Lemonada, Believe Her, again, had some of that. I, I would say there are similarities and there are differences between those two. This is a very calm, thoughtful, but also very powerful podcast so i yeah it's it's a big thumbs up from me
2: Kevin Flynn
4: Yeah i'm going thumbs up it's a uh it's a very moving look at restorative justice you know where we are in the uh season right now we're just getting to the beginning of the aftermath we'll say you know now that the formal process is over and everybody is left to kind of deal with the fallout that that's where we are but you know the tease has been there for why we should continue listening. And as I'm trying to dance around without any spoilers, as you already know, there ends up being some kind of relationship formed between the victim's family and the perpetrator. I'm assuming
2: because of a letter? Probably because of a letter.
4: (laughs) Yeah, I think it's just, it it really has me hooked because now I want to know how this relationship formed and what everybody gets out of it. So uh, this is not the kind of story
2: that we hear an awful lot. So, uh, thumbs up. Yeah, this podcast is very, very special. I'm giving it a thumbs up. As I said in the review, if you didn't listen to it, there's literally one, like, 25-second moment that took me out of the podcast enough and got really pissed off at. And if I would say, like, if I was going to, be in the editing room, I would not have included that moment because it pointed out a general, like lens of true crime that I think we should stop looking at true crime through. That being said, this podcast is special. It's well done. It's well paced. I think that we need to look at more stories where families who are in the wake of tragedy need to be examining that and I mean, I would love to see more stories like this that aren't happening, like in predominantly white privileged communities. But this is a place to start. And the fact that KSL, uh, who made a podcast cold, which I did not like, which I know is a very popular podcast, is now partnering with Lemonada, which can do excellent work, as we saw with Believe Her and make something like this, I'm like, this podcast is special and it's a great place to like begin listening to a story like this. So yeah, I'm definitely going to keep listening to this podcast even though we're not going to be reviewing it anymore and that says a lot because I don't typically do that. So big thumbs up for me for the letter and I'm going to tweet about it and tell people to listen to it and that's not something that I typically do unless something is really special. So that's where I land on that. All right, that's going to do it for us but before we go, Laura Bricker, do we have a cat of the week this week?
3: (laughs) We have a dog of the week this week. My favorite kind of animal. I know. My favorite kind of cat. Yeah. Well, not my favorite kind of cat, but this is a really cute one. This comes from Steve Troop. Tilly is a 11-year-old Italian greyhound who has been his muse for the last several years. She's been immortalized as a puppet and as the subject of three comic collections and has been my constant companion after a divorce and throughout quarantining. The comics about Tilly are at Sit Tilly Sit, and they are adorable. Mm. And by the way, the puppet thing is like, there's like a whole bunch of Tillies in the puppet sitting on the mm. couch. So I'm, I'm all about Tilly. I'm very adorable. So thank you for submitting, Steve. We should make puppets of our dogs. That would be really cute. Like mm-hmm. dog puppets. Dog Yeah.
2: I mean, because we don't have, I mean, like, actually, we don't have enough of them. We should need puppets of what them. What will
4: we make the puppets say?
2: Um, this is nothing. Would, I have to go out to the bathroom It would be just useless Like, like recreation <laughs> things they're already saying Alright Laura Bricker if folks want to reach out to you And submit their animals uh, Dogs preferably to be cat of the week And they don't want to email us at crimewriterson at gmail.com Or submit them on Facebook How could they find you on Twitter They can find me at Laura Bricker And Toby Ball folks want to reach out to you And say I want to expand my tie-dye shirt collection Where do you get yours How can they find you on Twitter
5: I have one tie-dye shirt it was a hand-me-down, but... I don't believe you. Can, you. you can, <laughs> I've owned others. <laughs> the only, this is the only one I currently have. Uh to leave all on H.
3: Isn't it funny,
2: though, that every time anyone who isn't even, like, like has ever seen you, who makes a cartoon of you for our show, always puts you in a tie-dye shirt. If you notice that?
5: Have you seen
4: the pop head that you wear in the I tie-dye shirt? I know, the shirt. pop
5: head. I've got the uh, tie-dye. i got the Jeff Chuck Taylors. Jeff Lasseter
2: puts you in a tie-dye. Kevin puts you in a tie-dye. We've seen none of your clothes, yet that is how we cast you. <laughs>
5: uh, I've got that aura about me, I guess. Yeah.
2: The hippie aura. Kevin Flynn, if folks going to reach out to you and say how lucky you are to be Kevin Flynn. How can they find you on Twitter?
5: Oh, you can get me
4: at Kevin P Flynn.
2: And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoy. You can also find me on Be Real, the new social platform, at Reb Lavoy. You can also <laughs> oh, you
4: say Truth Social. <laughs> oh no,
2: Be Real. It's fucking weird, but I'm on it. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On, and I encourage you to join our amazing community. And our official Crime Writers on Facebook discussion group. We also have a regular old Facebook page. Just go there and hit join the group. Support the show at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You get the Crime Writers on After Show, Married with Podcast, Lara Bricker's Leave it to Bricker Podcast, and Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club podcasts. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the incredibly handsome Olivia Burdett. The executive producer of this fine program is Kevin P. Flynn. This show was recorded in the loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi, studio, otherwise known as Studio C, The Closet, in our New Hampshire basement where Kevin is about to break down and pack in a suitcase for our weekend in Columbus. See you at Obsessed Fest. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you Later. later. Did you get a haircut, Rebecca? I did today, yes. It always looks shorter. For, it's like, it'll look long again tomorrow. looks good. No, I like it.
5: It always looks shorter after you get a haircut. Is that what you're trying to say? Yes. Yeah, it's
2: amazing. It looks it shorter, is. but it looks shorter for like, <laughs> like it'll look like, for some reason, like the way she does it, it looks way shorter than it is. It looked exactly the same as it did before tomorrow. It's really yeah. weird.
4: <laughs> uh, Green and Lupo investigate the shooting over a, a pair of pants in a $20 million lawsuit.
2: Yes. It's very good.
4: It's, of course, it's very good. Also, you, you suck so hard. Okay. Have I,
2: have I, we even taped it yet?
4: No, we're taping it on, on Saturday.
2: Okay, I haven't, yes. I know, but yes. you, know, yes. oh, okay. you know, play along. Right. Hey, you know, you're professional. Let's go, you know, pretend. Who's yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's our guest?
4: Yeah. Who's our guest? Uh, I don't, I forget. Okay.
2: Yes, Kevin, the taping went amazingly, and I cannot wait for the episode to drop. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Sorry, I'll pick it up from there.